This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's time for our Tuesday strategy panel, and there is a lot to talk about the goings-on at all levels of government, not to mention other governments. I'd like to welcome Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, John Corbett of Corbett Communications, Polling and Market Research, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Hey, guys, nice to have you here. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hi there, Libby. Good to hear from you. Okay, so let's start today south of the border. I haven't had a chance to talk about Donald Trump and those remarks that he made about the four women telling them to go back to where they came from. Uh, These are four progressive, uh, I guess you could call it that, women of color, left wing. Uh, And uh, these comments were roundly confirmed by Democrats and by politicians around the world, including Justin Trudeau. Uh, Charles, was he right to weigh in on this? Yeah, I mean, he obviously had to strike a fine balance, as it were, between uh, the uh, appropriate outrage that President Trump's remarks uh, likely warranted versus uh, the singular nature of our trading relationship with the United States and the importance of preserving that. Um, It's interesting that the the president has been openly accused of being a racist. It's been a while since we've seen that. But playing the race card in American politics is certainly nothing new. And the real question is, to to what effect? Um, because there's, I think there's a lot of Republicans who are very concerned that the president's uh, remarks go beyond the pale and will drive away a very important segment of Republican vote, which tends to be suburban, higher educated uh, women. And that uh, could prove to be highly problematic for the president down the road. John Capobianco, uh, was it a good idea for Justin Trudeau to comment on this? And, uh, you know, the Republicans in the states, you know, now they're lining up to say, well, it's not about him uh, telling these women to go back to the countries they came from. It's about their politics. John? Well, you know, I've been, uh, Livy, I've been following this as, as, as probably most of us on the panel, if not most of us here in Canada have been uh, in the U.S. has been dominating uh, the press there. And I just find it, you know, with with President Trump and ever since he's come in, there's nothing that surprises people. Uh, What he says, what he does, and and, and why he does it. And and, and again, this is yet, yet another example of, you know, is he doing this because it's politically smart and strategic for him uh, to to solidify his base, uh, to, to drive a wedge uh, within the Democrats, to, you know, to try to get them to talk about immigration, which is an issue that the Republicans do far well, are much more united than the Democrats are. Um, and they're talking about those issues as opposed to other issues that the Democrats might want to talk about, you know, leading into a primary that is very heavy on the Democrats. You know, they've got a deb- big CNN debate coming up in two weeks, and, you know, you know that this is going to be a major topic of it. So is he doing this strategically? strategically uh, 
for that, or is he just being himself and and you know and and saying things that you know just come to top of mind uh, when he decides he wants to wants to tweet? But your question about about our prime minister, you know, I, I, again, I don't think Prime Minister Trudeau needed to to weigh into this. Uh, I don't think he was expected to weigh into this. I think he decided to weigh into this because I think it's something that he obviously felt that he needed to. Uh, after uh, Theresa uh, May, uh, the British Prime Minister, weighed into it, I think he uh, was sort of the next world leader to uh, to jump in, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I think Charles is right. There's a fine line between, you know, there's a lot of issues that he's got to deal with, with a pretty volatile pr- president here, not least of which are... are um, the new NAFTA, um, but just a, a whole host of, of things. And also, I think he's been trying to get the USA to to work with China to get our uh, well. Exactly. Released. I was I was wondering about that because that seems to be he flew over to the states. Trump promised that he would intervene. No sign that that's happened. But we well, don't know. But again, and, you know, is this poking the bear? Like, is this something that you know at a time when you need the U.S. and you're you're relying on them on on some very key issues? Is this something that he needed to say something that? would inflame and probably, uh, you know, get the ire of the president and, and work against us. So I don't know. I don't think he needed to do it. I don't think he should have done it. But, um, you know, nobody likes to have, you know, foreign governments uh, intervene in, in domestic issues. John, do you agree? Um, I have to say that given, uh, given Justin's positioning, the way he presents himself, I think it would have been uh, noticed had he not spoken out against this. I think it's something that, that, that falls very comfortably inside his wheelhouse, that, uh, that he is a, he's a defender of, 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 of diversity, of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, feminism, and I think in both those respects, the president was really getting out of line, and I think, uh, I think Justin's, Justin's voters and his partisans expect him to behave that way. Okay, well, we'll see how uh, that one works out. No sign that Trump was actually helping us on the China file. And, um, no. pardon? I said no, sorry, no. 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 Uh, and uh, the other thing is, in, in terms of the other thing, you know, there are some people who are saying that instead of dividing the Democrats, this is going to unite them. So we will see how that one plays out as well. Let's move right along to provincial politics. Uh, John Corbett, uh, you came out with a poll that I think uh, is probably pretty worrisome for the Conservatives. It shows 60% of people believe that the PCs here are corrupt. Well, that's 57% actually. Oh. And they, they uh, spoke of specifically the Ford government. I mean, we asked that of the Ford government. And yes, 57% believe that the Ford government is corrupt. And I think that has to flow out of the related findings we had that um, that a similar proportion, uh, 63%, I believe, uh, feel that, that the, uh, the premier is, is, is appointing too many cronies to positions of influence in the Ford government. And, um, and very few people feel that that crony, that nepotism scandal is over. Uh, very few people feel that the, the, the resignation of Dean French led to the end of that whole nepotism scandal. So yeah. I think they look at that, they see, you know, we see relatives and friends of the Premier, of the Premier's closest associates being appointed to important positions in government. Why is that? What does he plan to do with that? They look back to the, 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 the attempt he made uh, at, at uh, installing 
Ron Taverner as head of the OPP. And they look at that and they say, why is he doing that? What is he, what is he preparing himself for? And I think that leads inevitably to a conclusion that there's something not quite right going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you pointed out, I think just 10% of respondents think that it's over now that Dean French yeah. has yeah. left. Very, very few, very few are buying the, buying the message, A, that the, uh, the recent cabinet shuffle um, uh, fixed any problems at all, and, and B, the message that, that by, by uh, sidelining Dean French, the nepotism scandal has been put to bed. They're not buying that. John Capobianco? Um, I don't buy it. Uh, you know, with all due respect, I uh, you know, uh, polls are polls, and and they're snapshots of time, as as I mentioned on this show before. And uh, but I, you know, the people I've talked to and people I've run into, half of them don't even know. Um, and these are not political people. These are in social circles that I have that are not politically based, and they're not. Uh, you know, some of them don't even know that that this is happening. Some of them have heard of of some of these issues, but I can't believe that six out of ten people in Ontario believe that this government is is uh, is corrupt. I think. That there are probably a number of folks who are um, shaking their head at, at what happened, and and probably rightly so, I think, from the perspective of some of the uh, some of the appointments. But you know, this happens every government. Charles's liberal uh, friends, uh, when they were in power, did the exact same thing. Uh, you know, we heard about uh, we heard about uh, Dominic LeBlanc and his uh, and his uh, uh, five relatives that were appointed to to, uh, to uh, uh, some some justices positions out in eastern eastern Canada. So, you know, as long as they have uh, qualifications, and there's no doubt there was one or two that, that probably didn't have the qualifications, namely the 26-year-old who was um, being appointed to uh, to the uh, agent general position in New York. Um, but I think some of the other ones that we're seeing who are who have voluntarily resigned because they just don't want their names in the press because of what's been happening, uh, a lot of them have actually have the qualifications to be in the positions that they were appointed at. So I do think that it's uh, a lot of it is inside baseball. A lot of it is um, uh, you know the media trying to to you know work uh, you know and, and get to keep the story sort of alive. But I also think it's now getting to a point where. Uh, we talked about this uh, last week on the show, uh, Libby. We, we, we're getting to a point now where the media, I think, are just, you know, for the sake of trying to, you know, gotcha, uh, are, are looking at anybody who's had a conversation with Dean French uh, and, and trying to say there's a connection there, which I think is getting to a point of silliness. Well, Charles, I don't know. Listen, by way mm. of confession, if I had been 26 years old and someone had come along and appoint, tried to appoint me as the agent general for Ontario to New York City at a salary of $165,000, I would have said, hell yeah. But um, I will say I found uh, Mr. Corbett's poll to be fascinating. It was very, very interesting reading. Um, polls are snapshots in time, as of John course. notes. But at the same time, uh, I've learned the hard way the dangers of ignoring polls. And most experienced political mm-hmm. operatives uh, do tend to take them seriously. I think what what is most interesting about this is how something that some might characterize as inside baseball has really permeated through uh, the Ontario populace and beyond. It's clearly touched a nerve with people. This is old-style crass politics. It comes with a heavy political price. You wonder how the Premier's former chief of staff could have thought he was going to, quote-unquote, get away with any of this. Um, But it is what it is. Um, There's a new chief of staff in place. And I think, you know, we're a year into... um, 
the Ford government's mandate, there are always a lot of growing pains in the first year of a government. And there's a lot of staffing changes and there's a lot of uh, reshuffling of the deck chair, shall we say. And so some of it is to be expected. And um, we'll see if uh, the premier and his team can do a course correction and sort of get back on track. I mean, for me, the, the, the thing that's particularly damaging about it is that it is so antithetical to the quote, the brand, you know, I'm going to clean things up. I'm going to stop the gravy train. I have respect for your money. And then all of this, I mean, it just, uh, you know, and looking at it, I think like, what is up with that? Oh, it's old school. It's just designed to drive voters away and drive them crazy. Because, you know, it's one thing to be involved in a scandal that involves impropriety. It's quite another thing when the taxpayer's dollar is on the line and is being spent in this kind of way. It's, it's really troubling to people. And given how hard people have to work to make ends meet, it just drives them batty. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. I think, uh, Diane, you want to talk about Trudeau's comments to Trump, right? Hello? Diane, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes. Hi. Hi. Yeah, it was uh, typical Trudeau. He didn't say if... uh, Trump was a racist or not. He says, oh, I think Canadians know how I feel about this. And he left it at that. Also, I, I kind of agree with Trump. You know, if a person's not happy with the country that they're living in, then then, then please leave. And also... The wait, wait, that- wait. So you would, you agree with uh, talk, three out of four women who were born in the United States and, and saying go back to the country that you came from? No, I'm not saying about go back to the country. I'm just saying if you're not happy where you're at, leave. Right. But what do you say about saying that to three women of color? Isn't that like a little bit, uh, I don't know. Well, they just happen to be ladies of color. But also it was interesting that none of the focus is on these women. One hates Jews. The other one thinks that Al-Qaeda is the greatest thing in the world. And yet they focus on what only Trump says. Well, well, he's the president of the United States and his remarks, I mean, uh, I think actually his remarks, rather than putting the focus on what those women have said and what they believe and some of it is hyped up and some of it is true, uh, I think it takes it away from them. And I mean, I think it it, uh, has the opposite effect of what he may have wanted. And, you know, his apologists may want to make it about them, but now it's about him. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. It does take the focus away from them, but it doesn't change what they've said, and they too are in the government. So I think you need to put the whole thing together and look at it all together. Mm, Anyway, thanks, Libby. Thank you, Diane. There you go. It's an interesting footwork, but it's it's interesting, and you guys are political strategists. You do this kind of thing all the time, where they're just trying to change the conversation. It's not about what Trump said. And uh, go ahead. John Corbett? So, so, sorry, Libby, uh, John. I, I, uh, John. I was just sorry, say, John Capobianco, let him go. Okay, who's talking? Too many Johns. John, yeah, too John many Johns. Here. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's two John C's here. <laughs> um, 
I was just going to say that, but, but you know, the, and the caller's an interesting perspective on that. And I think, you know, she probably reflects a lot of the Republican base, um, uh, which is why you're not hearing a lot of Republican leaders coming out and, and um, you know, speaking uh, against the president about the, these tweets, because I think they're looking at it from a strategic perspective. They're in an election mode now. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've got, there's a Democratic primary with 25 uh, candidates running. Um, you know, I, I think as a strategist, it might have been you know, might have been better for Trump just to just to let the Democrats, because the Democrats were embroiled in their own, um, um, you know, internal uh, issues uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. And he might have, might have been better just to leave them to fight their own stuff, because now it has kind of, you know, galvanized them in some ways. But I think he wants to, to, to make immigration an issue in the election. Uh, and he wants to galvanize his base as uh, as he continues into this uh, this four way. So I think they're looking at it from that perspective, which is why you see a lot of silence amongst the Republican leadership on this. Well, I don't know what it has to do with immigration when uh, three out of four of these women were born in the United States. I mean, there is no more potent yeah. political card in American politics at the moment than immigration. It is an issue that has split. Uh, the U.S. population almost down the middle. It is a uh, very powerful motivator of voting intent. And um, so it really goes to why Trump said what he did. I don't happen to believe it's uh, just him going a little mad on the Twitter machine. I think this is part of a a pattern we've seen where he is not above uh, going out and stirring up these kinds of resentment and this kind of deep-seated anger when other leaders like Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau would be more inclined to try to find the common values and the common value and the common um, goals that, that unite people rather than divide them. I will say just in defense of the prime minister, if he had said nothing on the subject, he would have been castigated. Um, if he had gone too far and called Donald Trump a racist, he would have been castigated. He took the middle ground. He didn't tweet. Very important. Mm-hmm. Because if you tweet at the President of the United States, you will hear back from him. Um, and, and I think he really did find the appropriate ground and, and did manage to embody the views of Canadians. On I, agree. Obviously I agree with that. He didn't, he didn't accuse Donald Trump of racism. He didn't even mention him by name, I believe, as far as I recall. He just said, you know I don't believe that. And, and his his public knows he doesn't believe that and knows that he doesn't stand by that kind of talk. And and he was being diplomatic, frankly. Okay. Um, let's uh, circle back to Canada. And one of the other interesting things that came out of your poll, John, and before we do that, I want to give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We've been talking about Donald Trump, but let's uh, get back to talking about Doug Ford. The other thing that I found interesting in this poll is that... Uh, a lot of people are saying that Doug Ford's performance so far will stop them from voting for Andrew Scheer. How did you measure that, John? Um, well, we've been tracking that, actually. This is the second time we've asked that. We asked that back on June 6th. And what we said was, it, uh, those, are, those are a series of agree-disagree statements. Do you agree or disagree with the following statements? And the statement was, Rob Ford's, uh, sorry, excuse me. Doug Ford's policies in Ontario will make it less likely that I could vote, I would vote for 
uh, Andrew Shears conservative in the next federal election in October. And uh, as you know, what, what's the number there? I'm, let me look at my release. How many agreed with that? I don't have that release up. Well, I think it was... That was 60%, wasn't it? It was. Yep. 60% agreed this time. 54% agreed last June. So the percentage who agree with that is now growing. And and of those those 60%, you know, that includes liberals and, 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 and New Democrats, of course. But of that 60%, about 20%, are people who voted conservative in the last federal election in Ontario. So that's got to be a danger sign for Andrew Scheer. 20% of your voter base deciding that they may not be able to vote for you again because of Doug Ford's policies. That that really, it goes back to that cartoon Michael Deatter did of, 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 of Ford being an anchor around, around uh, Andrew Scheer's ankle dragging him underwater with him striving for the surface. Uh, John Capobianco, uh, how seriously do you take that? And is it possible people in Ontario like to have a balance between the party they elect federally and provincially? And how much how much of it is just that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think just historically, uh, maybe there's always been, you know, sort of one political party in Ottawa and, and sort of another in, in Ontario um, you know, the Conservatives have been in power in Ontario for such a long time, and the Liberals are federally, and there was, you know, very few overlaps. Um, you know, we saw it with, obviously, when Justin won uh, in Ottawa, and, and Kathleen Wynne was still the, the Premier here in Ontario, where there was there was the same. But, you know, so I, I think that, you know, there's always been that kind of, you know, thinking that, that there's opposite. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think people tend to not vote well, if Ottawa has a liberal, I'm going to vote conservative in Ontario or vice versa. I think they, they vote for, you know, or, or want to vote the government out of the day, uh, as it was the case with Kathleen Wynne. Uh, you know, if, if uh, Stephen Harper was still uh, prime minister in uh, in Ottawa, uh, you know, does that mean that Kathleen Wynne would, would still be the pr- premier in Ontario? No, I think I think from the perspective of, you know, just the timing of, of it all. But, um, you know, I think federal leaders always risk um, bringing in provincial leaders into, into federal campaigns. Um, you know, again, Justin Trudeau did it with Kathleen Wynne at the time, and, and that, you know, that was, you know, that was effective at the time, um, uh, you know, when she was still relatively popular, um, and, and vice versa, where, you know, she brought in, she brought in Justin Trudeau where she could. But, you know, you, you run the risk of, of carrying the baggage of the, of the local provincial leader uh, if he or she has any baggage. You know, like if, if you know, in Alberta with, with Jason Kenney, you know, would Andrew Scheer be, would, would he be better off having Jason, you know, supporting him than not? Probably, uh, given the fact that Jason just won, just won election there. And in Ontario, I think you'll probably see uh, Andrew Scheer not uh, engaging uh, with Doug and, and vice versa. Doug's already said that he's not going to be playing any federal politics. And in fact, I think it was it was proof of that when he decided not to bring the, the ledge back until after the federal election. Uh, Charles, uh, what else should they be doing about this factor? Well, just hearkening back to John's comments, you know, it's interesting because Kathleen Wynne doesn't win her majority in 2014 without Justin Trudeau, who was then third-party opposition leader. And Justin Trudeau doesn't become prime minister in 2015 without Kathleen Wynne successfully engaging then-prime minister Stephen Harper and eating up the first 10 
days of that campaign in what was clearly uh, a federal Ontario fight. But I think specific to Andrew Scheer, uh, his problems go beyond Doug Ford. I mean, he's he's got Doug Ford looking at him from down the 401, but he's also got Stephen Harper in the rearview mirror. He's got Jason Kenney out west, and he's got Donald Trump down to the south. And these are all hardcore right-wing populist politicians. And that puts Mr. Scheer in a very difficult position. I haven't heard him come out and denounce what President Trump had to say. We know Mr. Scheer has had issues uh, taking exception to some of uh, the more radical things that have been said by supporters at his rallies. He has a contingent of his base that is very right wing, that is quite xenophobic. Some would say openly racist. And he walks a very, very fine line himself in terms of catering to those groups while attempting to come across to the vast majority of Canadians as a moderate. And at some point that becomes very, very difficult to do. And until he's willing to really formally break with the politics of Stephen Harper and willing to state his views as to Donald Trump and willing to say that Jason Kenney in Alberta will not dictate how things are going to work in this country, I think he's going to have a very difficult time going forward. Okay, you know, we've been talking a lot about Donald Trump, so let's take a call from Buffalo, New York. Linda in Buffalo. Hi, Linda. Hi, Libby. How are you today? Fine. How are you? Well, I live in the States. Okay. okay. <laughs> that, that doesn't make my day every morning pleasant, especially with the, um, what I call the stench in the uh, in the the beloved White House in the United States, um, I am very upset by um, the last caller, who obviously was an elderly Canadian woman, and it bothers me that people do not take the time to find out the proper information, and they listen to this man who is like a Pied Piper. And he portrays himself to be honest, and yet he's told more lies than five presidents totaled. Um, I needed to call and vent about this, Libby. I listen to your program every day. Oh, great. And I find that you have an extremely good perspective, not only on the Canadian politics and other issues in, in Canada, but also, you know, here in the States. And you listen and um, even when Diane called, um, <laughs> I probably would have um, not handled it quite as well, I guess. <laughs> I, I would say, actually, Diane is probably uh, pretty moderate. She was just focusing yeah. on one thing rather than the other. Uh, I think right. Diane agreed that his comments were completely out of line. Uh, so uh, I'm assuming uh, you'll be voting Democrat, right? I have been a Democrat all my life. Well, um, I just actually was elected in a small little town here. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. And when I was asked why I'm doing it um, at this time of my life, um, I said, uh, 2016? I said, let me count the ways. <laughs> so I've, I've always been politically minded, and um, I've always enjoyed politics. Um, I never thought I would do it, but this, this stench, I, I, I don't even... I, I can't even use enough adjectives about this person. You know, I hear people call, and I'm going to sure you're going to have callers after me going, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Well, yeah, I do. All right, because I, I read and I get informed, and I don't take the first thing that's out there um, for, verbatim. Um, and, and that's what I ask people to do. And what's a shame 
is people, whether you're Democrat or Republican, the atrocity that is going on in, in this United States, not only with the immigrants, not only with women that were elected by Americans to run into Congress, to be their voice, all right, the, the, the border situation, anything that this man has touched, he is killed. And we here in the States know a lot more about his atrocity um, being in New York, um, I, I, but people won't believe it because they don't want to hear it. Okay. Trump supporters alternate a question. You ask them a question, and they they they, they just ride some other kind of wave. Yeah, well, that's um, them. the skilled you know? politics. Linda, thanks very yeah. much for your call. And I appreciate you taking it, Libby. Keep up the good job. I'll listen to you every day. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Okay. Bye now. I bet she knows a lot about Ontario politics, too. Let's hear from Joan in Oshawa. Hi, Joan. Joan? Hello. Hi, Joan. Um, He's friends. uh, uh, Donald Trump, it's well known that he's friends with David Duke. Mm, I don't think so, but... And he is a racist. And he, he slanders people. He says the Mexicans are lazy. They're no good. They're a bunch of thieves and, and uh, crooks and everything. We get them up here every summer, and they're hard workers, and they turn around and they send most of the money to their families. They only keep enough to pay their rent up here, you know, their food and things like that. He is such a liar, and he makes things up as he goes along. He's very dangerous for the United States. Well, Very, very dangerous. Thanks, Joan, for your call. You're very welcome. Yeah, I, I think those are all things that we, we know about Donald Trump. Uh, there was just one more thing I want to touch on before we go, and it's on a slightly different subject. Yesterday, I was talking to the health minister. Now, Doug Ford, when he was at the premier's meeting last week, said, hallway medicine, we're, we're going to have it, uh, totally dealt with in a year. And she sort of said, not so fast. Is that damaging, Charles Bird? Yeah, I mean, it's understandable to the extent that things get said in leadership campaigns and election campaigns that won't necessarily come to fruition exactly as planned. Um, But, you know, Statistics Canada had some very, very interesting numbers that I'll no doubt be of interest to your listeners. Um, Specifically, that the number of um, nursing home workers, healthcare workers dealing with the elderly has grown by 50% over the last 12 years which is an enormous growth in terms of uh, those particular jobs, but it also mirrors the the growth in um, in our aging population. And these are not issues that are going to be solved very quickly or very readily that's going to require a great deal of time and attention going forward. And so campaign rhetoric is one thing. The reality is quite a different thing. John Capobianco, is that a big deal? Yeah, I, I think, I think uh, quite quite frankly, that, you know, um, uh, what, what the minister said was basically, look, our hope and, and, our, and our intent is to get it done within the year, as the premier has said. But um, I think she was just making sure that in the event that it's not. Um, it absolutely will not be. <laughs> well, but, but, but I think I think at the end of the day, what, what's going to be important, Libby, is that in fact it's going to be done and hallway health will be ended. And I think the premier will be judged on that uh, in the next election. So whether or not it's a year or 14 months or or 15 months, I think uh, Ontarians are going to get uh, a hallway a hallway health ended. Uh, and when that uh, when that happens, no one's going to say, well, geez, it took maybe three months longer than it should have or three months longer than the premier said it was going to take. 
um, I, I think, as, as Charles says, you know, during campaigns and, and um, you know, you want to be able to, you know, sort of predict that something's going to be taken, it'll take a year or whatever the time it does. I think politicians always run the risk when they mention timelines that they never get met. Um, Prime Minister Trudeau is going to be judged on that, you know, given all the all the promises he made and when he wanted to get those done, and none of them have been done. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, it'll, it, it, whether or not hallway health ends or not, that's going to be the key thing that people will be judging this, this premier on. Okay, I guess it's a little uh, soon to call the ballot question. Uh, before we go, John Corbett, if you were giving Andrew Shear advice for the rest of the summer, what would you say? Um, let's say, see if you can uh, promote a caucus revolt in Ontario. You made a very good point, Libby. You said a lot of what you're hearing is not on brand for Rob Ford. Doug well, Ford. A lot of what we discovered in the poll shows that people are not buying a Rob Ford brand anymore. Um, no one bought the idea. No one's buying the idea that Ontario is broke and has to cut services. You know, the majority opinion is that it's a wealthy province. Um, almost everyone believes in climate change and most support the carbon tax. So his whole central central point about being against the climate uh, tax, the, the carbon tax, is not going to do very much for him. Um, no one thinks Ford cares about people like them, only like, 20% believe that Ford cares about people like them. So there goes the whole government for the people um, plank in the platform. And um, they all remember the booing uh, episode at, at Nathan Phillips Square. And most people blame that on his personal unpopularity and the unpopularity of his policies. So here's a guy who the public is just not buying his story anymore. Okay. Everything he ran on. Carbon tax, uh, a, a broke province that has to cut back, uh, uh, climate change, you know, that he's doing a government for the people. Uh, these things, people aren't buying them anymore. Before the record, I don't believe any of that. But anyway, that's, uh, that's for, for John and his polls to uh, to say. But. <laughs> Well, I believe all of it, Libby. Let me make that perfectly clear. (laughs) Okay, on that note, we are out of time. People, if we couldn't get your call, Free For All Friday is coming up. Thank you so much to John Capobianco, Charles Bird, and John Corbett. Thank you. Thanks, Libby. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.